0: at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So tonight we're going to talk about the Eightfold Path, just to review. So we're talking about the Four Noble Truths. These are perceptions or insights that we're developing. And really it's the Buddha's, how he talked about wise view So instead of our self-centered view, and self-centeredness of course feeds greed, anger, and delusion, just like greed, anger, and delusion feeds the self-centered ways, patterns of thinking. And so the Buddha offers a different frame, which is that we're relating to experience in terms of, oh, there's dukkha, there's suffering, there's a cause, suffering ceases, and when suffering ceases in my heart, when my heart has a moment free of grasping, free of selfing, uh, I get a little clarity about the way, the path. And the Buddha describes the path as the Eightfold Path. So this is what's said in that uh, discourse, setting the wheel of Dhamma in motion. In the tradition it's considered the first discourse, although that's probably, it's probably. Uh, coming together of different teachings from the Buddha that uh, got formulated after the time of the Buddha. But in that discourse, in terms of the the Fourth Noble Truth, what is the Noble Truth of the Way leading to the cessation of suffering? It is the Noble Eightfold Path. That is to say, wise view, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness and wise concentration. There is this noble truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing and light that arose in me about things not heard before. This noble truth must be awakened to by cultivating the path. This noble truth has been awakened to, has been fully developed by cultivating the path. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. And I find it really um, compelling, I guess, and useful how the path, having clarity about what, what life, what to do with this human life, really arises with insight. So that means, you know, we should have a lot of humility about even what the path is. I mean, we may understand some things intellectually, we may have some intuition, but it's always good to have a lot of humility about even even knowing what the spiritual path is about. And one of the really powerful things about listening to teachers and, you know, really sincere dharma practitioners who been at it for a while and they talk about their practice and they talk about like if you ask people well what have you gotten from your practice over the years a lot of what people will talk about is getting clearer about how to practice getting clear about what the path is and what it isn't and in a way you know we always come into the path with all sorts of idealism and and wrong ideas and self-centered, you know, wanting to be special. So we become a Buddhist or we become a meditator as a way of becoming somebody, somebody special, somebody who's better than, like, better than who I am right now. If nothing else, so. Um, let me just review the, where we've, um, what we've explored these eight weeks. So, um, one of the useful ways of just using the teachings on the Four Noble Truths is, is in terms of these 12 insights. So around the first Noble Truth, these, this collection of insights that we can have all day long, oh, there is dukkha, the heart is struggling, my heart feels burden, this is a teacher. This is something to understand, to open to. Ah, I'm really, I really have in this moment an honest, sincere, open relationship to dukkha, to the squeeze of my heart, to the struggle in my heart. I've I've really been a sincere student to my dukkha, to my suffering. So that's the first three insights. There is dukkha, it should be understood, it has been understood. And I really recommend you learn these 12 because it's just like in any moment during the day, you know, when we're struggling or we're confused, we can just ask, okay, what is this moment really asking? Is it the first noble truth? Like, have I done that work? How's my heart doing? You know what? It's struggling. I don't like what's happening. Okay, there's dukkha it's my teacher can I have a respectful relationship really show up there is dukkha it should be understood that's that recognition you know I should have a respectful intimate open-hearted relationship to my dukkha because it might have something to teach me I have opened to it I have brought some curiosity to my dukkha right so that's a good place To start over like when we've been absorbed in some sort of obsessive pattern or reacting caught up in some drama in our life or in the wider world we're part of okay there's dukkha here and that dukkha is right here right it's in this mind body doesn't mean there isn't stuff going on around us but we're as a spiritual practitioner first and foremost taking responsibility for what's going on here course we see what's going on here being mirrored out there everywhere but this we can do something about we can look at it we can respect it for what it has to teach us we can open to it and what it does is it sends us to our next teacher there is a cause whatever's going on whatever that squeeze that weight that burden that i'm feeling there's a cause and it's here and now It's not in the past, it's not in the future, it's not somebody else. It's part of the dynamic right here in this body-mind thing we call me. There is a cause, the cause of dukkha should be abandoned, it has been abandoned. There is a cause which is the attachment, taking desire personally. There is desire that just is life energy, taking it personally. Turns out to be the cause for that squeeze, that heaviness, the burdensomeness of life. Ah, so if we're, you know, if we've already um, respectfully shown up to the moment of suffering, then we can just ask, okay, so there's suffering. I've really felt that I'm relaxed with it. I'm curious. Is there attachment here? Oh, this is the attachment to desire. It's like wanting something to happen, wanting to get rid of something. From my, In my experience, wanting to become somebody. Okay, this attachment isn't helpful. And that's that, as I've talked about over the last several weeks, that place of real patience and courage to be aware of attachment, aware that it's the cause for the squeeze, the heaviness, and to be willing to stay with it. Oh, this isn't helpful. This is to be abandoned until it passes away, goes away. Oh, this is the cessation, right? The ending attachment. This is the ending of attachment. Oh, and we have to see that, you know, as I say now, ten thousand times, just that generic point, you know, we don't really get something until we see it over and over many, many times. And it's really the generalizing, you know, how many times do we need to see that we're attached to desire, we have an agenda, we're controlling, we've given up, we can be attached in probably an infinite number of ways, identified in an infinite number of ways. But now we're patient, we're curious, we see it's not helpful. And then it drops away. And how many times do we need to see attachment dropping away before the mind generalizes something about attachment? Because for a long, long time, attachment feels personal. Like, oh, I know I'm attached. I know I shouldn't be attached. I'm so grateful that I'm... Whatever that fixation I had earlier in the day about needing to get rid of this person for my life or needing to get this thing now it's no longer obsessing me I'm so glad that I dropped that burden right so in our ordinary relationship with attachment it feels very personal and we, when it's there it's a personal problem and when it goes away it's a personal relief but when we see it a thousand times two thousand times ten thousand times in all kinds of variations not in the same situation but really start, the wisdom starts to generalize and it understands something about the letting go of attachment. That attachment is itself. So this really opens the heart to the third noble truth where the heart has generalized the experience of attachment going away to the realization that the heart doesn't need to be burdened With any attachment or identification so it's a little crack in the idea that all this struggling that we're observing in the second noble truth there's a cause it should be abandoned it has been abandoned there's a lot of like getting pushed around like we're really intimate when there is when the mind is attached is fixated in some way we really see that it's suffering its connection to suffering we really know it isn't helping Eventually it goes away, we're grateful, appreciating the release. But we feel we're not out of the woods, right? Because we're still, it's just a matter of time before the next experience triggers more attachment. We get caught up. And then we eventually see, this isn't helping either. This is more of the same. Ah, it's gone away. Good. So that's a lot of our practice at the Second Noble Truth level. with time and a lot of that seeing attachment arise attachment cease attachment arise attachment cease the heart opens it realizes something about that basic pattern of attachment arising and ceasing which you know we use words we say it's not self its nature it's not self. becoming attached is a natural phenomena attachment falling away Is a natural phenomenon. That's why the Buddha doesn't emphasize that you or I get rid of attachment. We want to see how it arises as a natural arising and how it ceases. And then that really changes, it really opens the heart to an experience of basically realizing the mind, the heart, free of attachment, not of specific attachment, but the whole process of clinging has fallen away. Right? The, realizing that clinging is optional. So objects are still coming and going, experiences is still happening, the different experiences that are coming and going, they'll be pleasant or unpleasant. When they're pleasant, it will trigger what pleasant experience triggers in us. If it's unpleasant, it will trigger that. But now the mind isn't orienting, right? It's having a, an experience of not orienting around sense experience and its likes and dislikes and the attachments or whatever might get triggered. And uh, maybe you had a little taste from the meditation tonight where you, um, um, where we move from just that, that expansive feeling of kindness into a a more neutral experience of space and it's really nice like when we're doing the metta meditation the loving kindness to really notice the pleasantness of that because it brings in a lot of safety just in healing just to sense the pleasant wholesomeness of a heart that's full of that generous kindness and then to notice the sense of space, the space of knowing, the space that is empty of selfing, empty of self-centered dramas, empty of attachment to the liking and the disliking. Because it's not paying attention. It's really pay- where like the instruction in the meditation was to instead of orienting around the ordinary objects coming and going, we're really orienting around the space of the present moment, the space of knowing, the empty, the space that's empty of selfing, so we're noticing the relative absence of selfing, of self-centered drama, of liking and disliking. We're noticing that and we're noticing the peace of a mind, you know, relatively free, of grasping, relatively free of clinging, clinging to our likes and dislikes, clinging to ideas of becoming somebody, right? And then from that, that place of the mind being relatively spacious and free of reactivity, then when, because of the force of habit and momentum, when the mind gets drawn back into some drama, the contrast is so apparent. It's so easy to go through those insights. Oh yeah, there's dukkha, should be understood, has been understood, there's an attachment here, this should be abandoned, it has been abandoned, this is the cessation of suffering, this is the mind free of grasping, relatively speaking. Ah, this should be fully realized, has, and then some clarity of the path, oh, This is what my life, this is what this life is about. And the Eightfold Path, you know, we have wisdom or wise view, wise intention. That's the wisdom piece. Then we have the sila piece, the ethical conduct, wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood. Then we have the sort of meditation piece, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration and so we think of it as the wisdom third the ethical conduct third and the mind training third right? so these three aspects of the Eightfold Path and they're just different frequencies of our life so the sila the ethical conduct is the more gross or dense or concrete or obvious part and we're Taking the insight from the third noble truth, oh, this is the mind free of grasping, and we're integrating it in the world of relationship, ethical conduct, getting along with others, harmonizing with others. Right? Because that's the thing, like that, uh, you know, wise people have said, there are these insights, these sudden shifts in understanding, deepening of understanding, and then it's a matter of really integrating and learning to live from that place, you know, where the insight leaves an impression. We become, the heart becomes changed when we see what we haven't seen before, and then it's learning to live from that impression that was left by the insight. We want to live from that place because you know in terms of our the conditioning of the heart and mind it's not just one thing It's not like there's a mark and we have to live from that me place there are all kinds of tendencies and understandings and so much of our practice you know as our understanding deepens is choosing to keep the under the deeper understanding the more trustworthy understanding to keep it in mind so we can live from that place. So as we're having insight into the heart free from grasping the third noble truth, then we bring it into this area we call sila, wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood. And we bring the insight of our heart free from grasping, from self-centeredness into the work of wise effort, wise mindfulness and concentration. We're basically taking care of the mind, and distractedness into non-distractedness. And we do the same thing with wisdom. We bring the deepening of insight into how the mind understands and how the mind works with intention. So we're basically the full frequency of a human life from relatively gross how we're interacting in the world to relatively refined, the view, the wisdom and understanding in the mind. We're uh, doing the work of integrating the insight into every aspect of our engagement with life so that absolutely Every aspect of the mind and body is living out of the deeper insight, the deepest insight. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I, me, or mine. Really, that insight we're taking, you know, with the Four Noble Truths, it's reorienting the mind that dukkha is our teacher. And the most relevant thing about that teacher is the cause, this attachment to desire, taking desiring personally and really realizing the three characteristics about attachment to desire, that it's coming and going, the attachment to desire comes and goes, that it's unsatisfactory when it's it's suffering, it's a cause for suffering, and that it's impersonal that it's not self. And it's the ripening of seeing those three aspects of attachment, that it's changing, that it comes and goes, it's conditional, that it's dukkha, it's unsatisfactory. Attachment never leads to any lasting happiness, never helpful. Attachment's not helpful. Attachment to Becoming, attachment to sense experience, attachment to getting out of here. It's not helpful. And it's not self. It's just this impersonal process that's empty in the sense of it doesn't refer back to a permanent me. And when those, when that's been seen enough, then there's a a real sudden seismic shift in one's understanding. And then we apply that understanding and develop it in these three aspects of our life. And that's really what the the Buddha says in terms of the Eightfold Path. There is a path. It should be developed. It has been developed. And those are the last three of the Twelve Insights. There is Dukkha. It should be understood. It has been understood. That's the first. There is a cause, attachment to desire. It should be abandoned. Ah. It has been abandoned there is a cessation of suffering there is a heart free of grasping this should be fully realized it has been fully realized seen clearly for what it is this is the way right and that opens the path oh this is this is what the heart deeply desires this freedom this freedom and this unhindered love which is just the active in my mind the active expression of freedom compassion without restrictions without fear there is a path there there's something to do with this life integrate the insight of not self of its being nature like how to have relationship but we tease we we see how that Insight, the impression, the insight leaves, we keep it in mind as we're in relationship with the world. And you know, it's interesting, like we think of sila, the area of ethical conduct, as having a lot to do with restraint. Like we feel the tendency to want to take something that's not ours, but we restrain ourselves like, no, that's not the right thing to do. So how does this insight into not-self support restraint? Well, because when... You know because of the tendencies in our mind to be greedy to be angry to be controlling and you know all the different expressions of greed anger and delusion but now we're keeping the deepening impression of not self and the freedom we're keeping that insight in mind we're in a sense letting it live through us letting it sort of be the new reference point as we inevitably have to relate to other human beings, right, and earn a living and speak. But now, because of that deepening insight, when I feel an impulse to do or say something that's not so skillful, it's actually very easy for restraint to happen, because the impulse to steal, or the impulse to gossip, or the impulse to be insulting is seen as nature and not-self. So when it's not-self, it's relatively easy to feel what it feels like, that impulse to want to act out in an unskillful way. Wisdom can see and feel it, but it isn't so seduced. So then it gets relatively easy to start living in more and more harmonious ways, with kindness, with love, with a deep valuing of non-harming willing to do the sticky messy work of uprooting the causes for suffering in our relationships in our families in our communities you know we talk about this a lot at common ground the how essential this work of you know uprooting unraveling the causes for racism uprooting and unraveling the causes for sexism classism and all the different ways we take advantage and cause harm for one another even in our relationship with animals how we are with the planet and the general um, kind of circles of life on the planet uh, the ecology of the planet it's like there's no like blueprint about how we do all this, how we resolve all of these ways of suffering but. Removing the stickiness of self centeredness, then the mind becomes so much more nimble as we feel the deep conditioning around sexism, patriarchy, around racism, around greed about wanting wealth and not wanting to care for others. We just see those tendencies in the mind, but we see them without assigning a self to those impulses and then it's relatively easy to do the ethical work of refraining from acting out impulses that are tainted with greed, greediness or hatefulness or fear it's easier to be a kinder uh, wiser person really dedicated to non-harming and it's the same way with this whole area of the Eightfold path that's about working with our heart the wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. And that category is called Samadhi. And it's really about like, okay, now I've had some insight into not-self, the impersonal nature. I've observed the rising and falling of attachment ten thousand times, enough times, that wisdom has started to generalize, kind of cracked the deep, deep tendency. To always interpret experience from a self-centered point of view and the mind sees when it drops that projection of self on experiencing the mind realizes something different now I'm applying that to just working with my thinking mind my distracted mind my worrying mind so we're bringing that insight into not-self into let's say let's call it a meditation or sitting and we're just observing the mind and observing the body. But now, with that resonant insight that this moment, all moments, are empty of self, meaning that what I'm aware of doesn't refer back to anything. It's just something being known. Well, it's a lot easier to work skillfully with distractedness, impulses to think this or to plan that, and to see them as just thoughts being known, because that insight really helps uh, the mind understand, yeah, that's just a thought. No, there is a nobody who needs to think that thought or needs to you know how it is. We, we can this is a problem with Google. you know It's like you can have a question, you know, what is the current population in the United States? And now we need to have an answer and every other question. Oh, what is the etymology of that word? Where did that word come from? You know, and it's like, but now when we have these sort of even restless, you know, wanting to know something, wisdom with the resonance of that insight into not so resonance isn't confused by any impulse to want to know this or want to figure out that or want to plan or want to remember what happened, what was that person's name. And it doesn't mean that we can't get that information. There may be a functional reason why we want that information. But there isn't a self-centered stickiness to needing. So even like the normal cognitive processes of thinking and planning and worrying and remembering, the way the mind begins to relate to that, it's just, yeah, it's just stuff. Like someone left a radio on, you know, it's just cognition. You know, and and sometimes in terms of our duties and responsibilities, we take the thinking process, you know, and we let it sort of lead us around. But when it doesn't need, isn't needed, it's just sort of it can be in the background, and we don't have to feel pushed around. Just because I thought that thought doesn't mean I have to do anything about it, and that really helps in the meditative process. Whether you're doing a formal meditation or just kind of going about your day, but you're aware. Of the mental activity and it really allows the mind to more regularly be in a balanced place that stability of present moment awareness that we call samadhi because of wise effort wise mindfulness wise concentration so the insight into not self makes the meditative or the Samadhi you know living with samadhi that stability of present moment awareness so much easier and then, of course, with wisdom, it's really the same thing, that insight makes it natural for one to have wise view. Oh yeah, this is nature, not self. And wise intention just flows from that. right? The Instead of the intentions to be greedy and to be aversive and to be distracted, the intention is to be kind and to let go and to really not want to cause harm these are the wise intentions that come out of that deepening insight renunciation letting go kindness and compassion those are the motive forces that are left when self-centered gets more and more teased out of the the mindstream so of course there's so much more to say which is why we keep repeating the eightfold or the uh six-year course on that buddhist studies course you know we cycle back through so uh and a lot of you took the eightfold path um this summer i think we did it so if you're wanting to dig a little bit more into the eightfold path just look at dharma seed or you can even go to the um youtube live stream and just look back in the buddhist studies section and the summer course was on the eightfold path so you get eight weeks of detail or maybe it was seven weeks long in the summer so you can look at that if you're interested in it so I want to just mention um, before we break into the small groups with Michelle that uh, there's a couple announcements I just want to announce so again the winter course will be mindfulness of the body Uh, Michelle will be available for anybody who wants to do a small group and I th- what I thought would be a, a nice conversation topic for the small groups, those of you who are going to stay, is just to reflect on the path. Both the path, the spiritual path, when it really is coming or seeing in terms of self, I want to get myself from living in an unskillful way to living in more and more of a skillful way, to really understanding the path as being empty of self, and how to integrate the insight of the emptiness of self into all aspects of my life. So it's kind of a shift from where we all begin, where it's a personal thing we're up uh, up doing with our spiritual practice, to the teasing that out naturally, gradually as our our practice deepens. And then it's really about integrating the insights that the heart has been having, the wisdom has been having, into everything that we do. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.